1 John chapter 3. We pick back up here in verse 4. I'm going to read through 4 through 9, and then we'll take it verse by verse. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin, and whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. Now, as we pick back up here in the scriptures from last week, you remember in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3 of 1 John that we discuss God's love for you, that God does love you, and that he's writing to these believers to express and remind them because there's always a challenge within the church body, even back from the very beginning when the first church started. That there were many were coming in, providing and trying to do some false teaching within the church. False religion creeping into the church. Taking people's mind away from who Jesus Christ is, the Savior of the world, and moving it on to other things away from Jesus. The truth that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, by faith alone. To be saved, to be born again, have eternal life that he talked about in the very beginning of his letter here in 1 John. And then those who would creep in and say, yeah, 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 you have to have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, got that, got that. But you also need to do the following. And they added all kinds of crazy things to it. Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus plus, Jesus and follow us, Jesus and only our church, Jesus and... All kinds of crazy things. It still happens today. So John was writing this letter to understand and let them know, don't be discouraged. God's love for you, for us, is the manner of love he has bestowed on us. A wonderful relationship that he has made a way for us to become children of God. What a beautiful thing it is that we can become and have that relation like a child to a father. Children of God. He made a way for us to do that. In verse 3, we saw that one who sits and sets his hope on by faith on the Son of God experiences this inward purification that is as Christ's purity, as he says at the very end of verse 3, just as he is pure. A new birth that can take place within a person. One that was very dark. Very selfish, very rebellious, very one person. Oh, it's all about you. And then you found yourself, the more you thought about yourself, the more miserable you became. And you tried everything the world had to offer. You tried everything the flesh desired. 
You've tried everything that everyone in the world even tries to convince you this is what's going to solve your, and fill in the blank, whatever you were challenged with. That deep emptiness that you just could not fill. But this new birth that God talks about involved this perfect purification from sin. Just getting the junk out of your life that has been weighing you down like a hundred pound gorilla. John here now wrote and goes very specifically in these next few verses about sin. He writes about sin, the old nature that was in you and now as a believer has now been gone. It's you've, God loves you and he's, re, he's removed that and he's purifying you. But this sin that is that old nature stands in opposi- opposition against the purity or the new nature that he wants to develop in you. Going from the old to the new nature is a transformation that needs to take place. So here in verse 4, he says, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. So don't be fooled what people are telling you. That you can just live however you want to live as a Christian, he says. Because this lawlessness or rebellion against God, this, this act of I want to live my life however I want to live as a Christian, and say, and everyone can, is, is saying that's totally fine. He's saying to these believers, he said, God loves you. He's made you a child of God. He has done everything. He's taken you out of the old life. He's purified you. You've got the junk that's just absolutely destroying your life. He's freed you from that. And now you're sitting here thinking, this false teaching has come in that you can just commit sin. It's lawlessness. This is not who you are to be. This is a, you're a child of God. You're not, the, you're not in the world any long, longer. The Greek word translated for commits is a present perfect tense that speaks of continual action. Whoever constantly is constantly thinking it's okay to just habitually sin and think you're okay as a Christian, don't be fooled. These verses does not refer to one who falters to sin or one who wrestling with their old past, their old sin. This is not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about those who fall and who are struggling with certain sin, this, this sin that seems to dominate them, everything else seems to be changing, but there are certain things in their life they're just still wrestling with as a believer in Christ. It's not what he's writing to here. He's talking about to those who blatantly, habitually, continually practices sin. They want to practice because they want to get really good at that. They really want that experience. They, won't, they don't want to give up that, that sinful experience. It's their identity. That's what they do. This is who they are. And they're really good at it, and they enjoy it. This, this, is who, this is who John is talking about. If you are that habitual, continuous, practicing, sinful person, understand that's lawlessness. That's rebellion against God. John defines sin very simple and very to the root of the problem. It is a disregard for the law of God, the, the, the ways of God, the, 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 the truth of God, the word of God. 
And when you just, just completely say, I don't need to follow God, I can make up my own rules and do whatever I want to do, you're disregarding the actual lawmaker, God himself. You're acting like, yes, you call yourself a Christian, but you, you just disregard whatever God wants to say to you. See, we often fail in the battle against sin because we won't call it what it is. Sin is lawlessness. We won't call it that way. We, we sugarcoat it every which way to justify why we deal with the things we have dealt with all our lives. I hear it all the time. Pastor, you just don't know what my family was like. You don't know what my dad was like. You don't know what my mother was like. You don't know what my family overall was like. You don't know what I deal with at work. I mean, I hear all kinds of rationalizations of why you continue to live and continue not to get everything that is not of God out of your life. <laughs> Pastor, if you knew me, you'd realize I'm really doing pretty good. I haven't killed anyone like I had last year or the year before. You won't believe I was on five drugs. I'm only down to one. It's just smoking marijuana. It's a, no big deal. It's legal now. You know, you, you know it's legal now. It's, it's okay. No. Don't be fooled, my brothers and sisters. And he continues here in verse 5, and you know. It's like not like he's talking to believers. He says, you know this. It's not like you don't know this. And you know that he, Jesus, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. So here we see, and as we get through these, these verses, John is going to highlight three reasons why Jesus came to this earth. Why God came to the, in the flesh, and the reason why he came. He gave the very first one right here. The first reason is Jesus came was to take away our sin, your sin and my sin. Because you and I can't get rid of our sin, but he can take away from that sin from you. If you're willing to give it up. So he says, John says right here, the mission, the mission of Jesus Christ is very basic. And the first reason is to take away your sin. That is a hallelujah moment. You know what I'm saying? How many people say, I've tried, and I've tried, and I can't, and I can't, I've tried, I've did this, I've done that, I've done this program, I've gone to this place, I've gone to that place, I've tried, I've tried everything. And it's like, why do you go through all those steps? There's only one step, just take a step to Jesus. Send your life to Jesus. Watch him. He says he came here to take away your sin. Then why don't you trust him to do that? With every fiber in your being, if there's something in your life today that you're struggling with, give it to Jesus. He'll take it away. He'll haul it out. He's already paid for it on the cross. He died for all your sin on that cross. He's freed you. If you just put your trust your life in Jesus, he has freed you from your sin. See, even angel Gabriel promised Joseph, remember, back in Matthew 121, regarding the ministry of Jesus. You know, Jesus, you're going to name him Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Everyone was very clear from Joseph why God was coming in the flesh. To take away the sins of his people. 
Jesus can take our sins in the sense of he takes away the penalty of our sin. You don't have to pay for the penalty. You don't have to die for your sin. Jesus said, I'll die for your sin so that you will not have to die for your sin. And this is immediately accomplished when one comes by faith to Jesus and gives their life over to Jesus. Jesus also takes our sin in the sense that he takes the power of sin away. No longer does that sin have power over you. No one, no longer can you just sit there and say, I just can't give it up. I just can't change. No, come to Jesus. He'll give you the power. He's, re, he's released the power of any sin that was in bondage, keep you in bondage. He's released you from it. If you trust him. And this is an ongoing work that he does in our lives. Those who walk with after Jesus, he's constantly freeing you up from the bondage and the power that those sins were having on your life. You're a habitual liar and, no, and you no longer are. You were habitually greedy and everything, your time, you controlled your money, what you did, who could be around, you were so greedy. And God freed you from it. You're so selfish. And God made you a person who actually loves other people and wants to help others. You know what changed in your life when you gave your life to Jesus? You were so empty and you filled it with everything and anything that was legal and illegal. To try to fill the void and all of a sudden you come to Jesus and he's filled that void. And he's freed you. Not only did he, the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. But he also, Jesus takes away our sin in the sense of taking the presence of sin away. It's a work that it was completely, that, that is completely, will be complete, I should say, or completely done as the presence of God comes in. We pass into eternity. We're glorified with Jesus. It will no longer be something that we have to deal with once we're in the eternity with Jesus. That's why as a Christian, we're so excited about going home to heaven. Because we're no longer going to be in this flesh of ours that constantly come against us. Or the things of this world that's constantly coming after us. Or Satan and demonic forces who are always trying to lead you into something. We're freed from all of that. We're free from the presence of any sin in our life. It is all gone. So he manifested, Jesus manifested to take our sins away. It's a work of Jesus in our life. It is a work we must respond to. But it is his work in us. That he will do. And so when you think that through, you have to understand you and I cannot take away that sin, that penalty of our own sin. It's impossible to cleanse ourselves. It's impossible for you to get your life straight and right, then you'll come to God. That doesn't happen. What he is saying to us in the word of God today is that he says we must instead receive the work of Jesus in taking away our sin. We must come to him and allow him do that work in you. 
But he never forces you and I. He's looking for you to surrender it to him. And we can't take away the power of our sin for sure. It's his work. It's his power. It's his ability. Someone who comes to Jesus does not have to clean himself up first. But you must be willing. Willing to have him take away one's sin. And you can't avoid, you cannot take away the presence of the sin. Like you, you have this plan of action and you're going to do this and do this and we're going to try this and I'm going to isolate myself and I'll go hide myself up in some kind of mountain and be off the grid and get away from everybody and I'll live off the, 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 the land and I will be able to finally get away from the presence of sin in my life. Let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, you are still there on the top of the mountain. You cannot escape yourself. You can't escape yourself. But if you let him come in, ultimately he will accomplish this work in you and the presence of sin will no longer be with you. You'll be glorifying him. Why do we come to Jesus? Because it says it right here. In him there is no sin. Jesus had no sin to take away. He could take our sin completely on him on that cross and take it upon himself to deal with the issue you could not deal with. That's what he's offering to you and I as a gift. The gift of salvation, a free gift, a gift of grace. Could you earn it? No. Do you deserve it? No. Do you know why? Because he loves you. He created you to have a relationship with you. And sin separates you from him. That's why John says here in verse 6, whoever abides in him does not sin. And whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So John gets a little bit more specific here. If you, whoever, whoever, that means you, you and me, whoever It's open to all. It's not limited. But whoever abides in Jesus does not sin. Notice the word is singular. Sin is referring to you no longer, if you abide in him, you no longer choose to rebel and go against God. It's not who you are anymore. You don't want to rebel against God. You want more of God. You used to say, don't talk to me about God. Don't, don't read the word of God. And don't say the name Jesus. Whatever you do, don't say any of those things around us. Why do you think that is true? Why is it that we can go into the workplace and talk about the most horrifying things, the most grotesque things that are going on in this work environment and no one has a problem You talking about those things in your daily life. You can watch TV and watch the most grotesque things. You can go on the internet and see the most absolutely dark, gross things. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus, that you can lose your career in from. 
Do you, do you actually stop and think that through, how illogical that is? How irrational that is? How dark that is? That just tells you what is what is happening here. The world hates Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so he says, make sure you, don't, you understand this. You who abide in him, remember, sin is lawlessness. A disregard for God. Rebellion against God. You don't want anything to do with God. And since Jesus came to take away our sins, we see there in verse 5. Because he has no sin, then to, to, to pursue him means, to abide in him means we don't desire to sin any longer. We don't desire to do the things that go against God. That's why you can tell that you're a Christian. You desire to abide in him and you desire not to sin any longer. You don't want to do anything that's going to go against your Savior. Then you know you're saved. You're going to fight against going anything that's going to harm him or hurt him in any way. It's very important to understand what the Bible means here. Because what it does not mean is when it says does not sin, according to the verb tense here, is that John uses does not sin. means does not live a lifestyle of habitual sin. You do not want that any longer. You won't accept that in your life any longer. John also already told us there in chapter 1, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So he says, don't be deceived. Don't act like you're saying you're a Christian, you're walking around like a Christian, and then he says, but you're habitually in sin, and you like it, and you don't want it out of your life. You, you think it's just natural to just sleep around as an, and you're not married. Because that's what you've been taught. That's what you've known. That's what you, I didn't know any difference in that. I don't think there's anything wrong with drugs. People are taking drugs all day. You're taking you know, pharmaceuticals. What's the difference? And you get all these rationalizations going on. I, don't, I hate that man because he... Because he he, he, he came against me. And, and you think that's okay to rationalize that. But not as a Christian. If you're abiding in Christ, that all changes. That all changes. Whatever it is in your life that it does, it doesn't line up with the Word of God, it all changes. But here in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 6, John uses a different grammar here, a different word here. It indicates that it is speaking of a settled, continued lifestyle of sin. John is not teaching that you can possibly be sinless in perfection now. That's not what he's teaching. He's saying here that you can move on from a lifestyle of sin and move on to a lifestyle of, that is a purity, of moving on to purity, being cleansed and changed and modified to be more like Christ. 
John's message is plain and consistent with the rest of the scriptures as we read it. It tells us that a lifestyle or a style of life that's habitual sin is inconsistent with the life abiding with Christ. Paul teaches it in Romans 6. It's a great example of this because he shows that when a person comes to Jesus, when his sins are forgiven and God's grace is extended to him, he is radically changed. There's no question in that man's mind or that woman's mind. They know that God has touched their life and they no longer are the same. You remember the exact day, the time when you gave your life to Jesus and you knew there was a change that took place. And then all the sin you're dealing with after that moment is just temporary. God is working that out of your life. It's just a matter of time. That's why for the first six months to a year is the most critical for anyone who's a new believer because God is working out all of that junk that was in their life. And the faster and the quicker you draw to Jesus, the quicker that sin and junk is, is, is no longer playing, have a hold of you. Sometimes it's, it's the question that's not asked. See, many people, do you sin or not? That's not really the right question to ask. You know why? Because we all sin. We've all sinned. So the question is not, do you sin or not? The question is, is how do you react when you sin? When you sin, do you sit there and go, ah, it's just no big deal? Just no big deal. It's, it's better than what I used to be. I'm getting better. I'm trying. I'm not perfect, you know. But you... But you have no problem keeping it in your life. No, no, no. As if, if you're abiding in Christ, you will sit there and go, man, I can't believe I just did it again. God, forgive me. I am, I, I, that is wrong. It goes completely against you. I know you're working in me. Lord, help me. Get, get me. I need to be stronger. I need to come to you because I need that power from you to not do it again. And he will. He'll meet meet you right where you're at because you're crying out to him. There's a relationship there. He's there to help you. He was there trying to get you to keep from doing it, but you wouldn't listen to him. And then when you fell to it, then all of a sudden you, that conviction comes and you recognize it. Now you're talking about a child of God that's trying to, it's like a little child with dad. Dad, I tried. I tried to clean my room up. Okay, son, let's go back in and let's, let's go over it again. This is why it's important you don't do this. Throwing soda around your room is not a good deal. Leaving food under the, under the bed is not a good idea. It's really bad. It stinks after a while. And that's just going to cause foreign little objects coming after you. If you don't get it out, those little ants are going to come after you. The little mice are going to come after you. This is why we clean house. And out of his love, he's going to show you again and again. Until you get it right, until you understand that you no longer want to have that inside your room. And make a mess. 
It used to be acceptable. So I'm a, I'm a bachelor. You know, it's no big deal to have pizza boxes and sodas every laying all around and dishes piled up. It's, that's what a bachelor does, and you accepted it. And God says, no, no, it's not how a child of God lives in my house. That's not how you live in my house. You got to change the way you think, son. Let's bring you around to how you should live a, a clean house, a clean home. Make better decisions as he leads you and teaches you to do that. It's grieving to see Christians make excuses for their sin versus humbly just confessing their sin. Unless you squarely deal with things in your life that's not, that goes against God, if you don't squarely deal with it, it's going to bring you down. It's going to hinder your life and growth in a, as a Christian man or a Christian woman. And what will happen is, is you'll go back to the pattern of sin and darkness of a lifestyle that you used to live. And you don't have to do that any longer. You don't have to go back and repeat those things. So that's important that we never sign a peace treaty with sin in your life. Never sign a peace treaty with sin in your life. None of it's good. It's only a matter of time it will destroy you. And the Christian still experiences genuine struggle with the flesh. We live in this flesh. You're going to struggle with it and overcome it in these impulses and, and emotions that you deal with. But God says, I'm here at the Holy Spirit. I sent to you to help you through this. Go back and read Galatians chapter 5. Go read Galatians chapter 5, especially 16 through 26. Read it today. See what God has promised in his word for you to help you overcome these struggles. Because understand, as John says here, whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So if, you, if a mindset says, I can live however I want to live, I can go against the word of God. I call myself a Christian, but that's only because I grew up in a Christian a church. and I, So it's, it's kind of what I identify, but I don't practice and do any of those things. I practice sin and, and worldliness and all these other things. He says... Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. If you're in habitual sin, it demonstrates you don't, you have not met him. You don't know him. Don't be deceived, John says. Because once you under, once you see Jesus, and once you know Jesus. He is so great, he is so wonderful that seeing him and knowing him, it will change your life. It will change your life. That's why he says in verse 7, little children, believers, believers, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteousness, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. As a child of God, you're doing what and being want to be like your Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to be more like him. You're practicing these things. You're doing. You're not going to get deceived. Just don't get deceived and think you can just live however you want to as a Christian, as a child of God. No, 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 no. You have to understand. You must practice righteousness, not practice sin. 
Now, John did not allow us to separate a religious righteousness from a life of righteousness. That's a trick of the enemy. While you're in church, you have this form of righteousness that you put on. But when you live in outside of the church, and you're li- working in your work environment, in your home, and other, you live a completely different life and not a life of righteousness, don't be deceived. If we are made righteous by our faith in Jesus Christ, as Romans 3.22 says, it will be seen by our righteous lives wherever you go. When you're by yourself or with your people who are close family or co-workers or complete strangers, there will be a life of righteousness. The most important thing a person can ever do is to make sure he is righteous before God. This simply means he is held in a right standing before God. Do you, are you standing rightly in front of God? Does your life line up with the word of God? John is not saying that we are made righteous before God by our own righteous acts. It's not what he's saying. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that we are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet the righteousness, Jesus, will be evident in our lives. There'd be a changed life, a change in the way you think. Apparently, there were those who taught that you could be righteous before God and have no evidence of righteousness in your life. John rebukes that right here. Someone who's living just a worldly life, a fleshly life, and everyone everyone says, man, he's really dark. Man, he is a really mean man. Oh, man, you don't want to get around this guy. Oh, he'll he'll take anything from you. Oh, he'll, he'll, he'll throw you under the bus in a heartbeat. And when it comes to his, his funeral, what happens at a funeral? Everyone comes out, oh, he's such a good man. I hope he's in a better place. No, he lived a life of, of wickedness. That man is in hell. That man's not in heaven. There was no signs of righteousness in this man. Until the funeral comes and everyone then says all these really nice things. No, John says, no, 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 don't be deceived. Charles Spurgeon says it this way. The grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. See, we must live, we must, our lives must be characterized by righteousness, not sin that abounds in our life. Because we have been given righteousness of Jesus. He is righteous. We have the resource in him that for us to live a righteous life now because we follow him. And that's why we lovingly, gently remind those who claim to be believers but they do not want to change their life. They want to continue to habitually, willing, continually practice sin in their life daily. 
have no problem with it. That they're not a true believer. Why? Because the scripture tells us the Lord came to take away that sin from you. It should not be part of your life anymore. Verse 8. He who sins is of the devil. That's not a seeker-friendly kind of conversation, is it? But the word is clear here. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. What was that sin that Lucifer committed? Rebellion against God. He wanted to be the, 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 he wanted to be the one being praised and honored. He wanted to live his life as an angel however he wanted to. And it was going against God. That is rebellion. That is the root sin that Jesus came to, to take away the sin of the world. This rebellious spirit. For this purpose, we see the second reason why Jesus came. For this purpose, the Son of God, Jesus, was manifested that we might he, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So why did Jesus come? To take away our sins, but also to destroy the works of the devil. To stop the devil from destroying those he's created, you and me. He came to do that. It, to, to, not only to take away our sin, Jesus paid the price for our sin. He paid that price for you because you could not pay it. But he also destroys the works of the devil. He's destroying the power of sin in your life. People who are settled in habitual sin are not the children of God. Why? They are of the devil because it, it controls them and they want it. They do it. They don't want to change from that. But the, this word of God encourages us. No, no, no. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to free us from the bondage of the, of the devil. John gives us clarity as can be. Do you want to, your sins to be taken away from you? Here's the answer. Go to Jesus. Do you want the demonic forces to stop messing with you and controlling you and, and messing with your mind and messing with your lives and destroying you? Go to Jesus. As a Christian, as a mature Christian, you don't fear any of these things. Why? Because you're so settled on an agreement and understanding the relationship with Jesus. You know your sins are taken care of. You know the devil has no power over you. I can live a life that's so filled with joy and, and peace because I know Jesus is in control of my life. That's why it grieves me to watch people's lives. They're filled with anxiety and they're filled with just pain and suffering and emptiness. And just the devil is just absolutely having ravageness over their lives. And it grieves me because I know the answer. Just come to Jesus, you can be set free. And when I ask him, do you want to give your life to Jesus? They said, no, I'm, I'm good. You just got done explaining me you're about to die. The drug is completely controls you. Alcohol is pickling your liver and you have cancer throughout. And you say, no, I'm fine. You're deceived. You're deceived. 
And, and, and God is giving us such so clarity for us. He came to die for your sins. He came to take away the power of that sin in everyone's life. If you will just trust Jesus. Jesus came to put a stop to all, all that thing that the devil does. And how did he do that? Jesus did that because he gave his life. He suffered his death, but also his resurrection. That's how it overcame the power of demonic forces. But notice the wording here. Why we study every word, every verse. Notice here that he came to destroy the works of the devil. He didn't come to neutralize the works of the devil. He didn't come here to just weaken the, 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 the grip of the devil. He didn't say, I'll just limit it of what the devil can do. No, he says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He has no power over the children of God. None. See, many people get afraid of the devil. They're afraid of the devil. They fear what he can do to them. And I can say to you, if you're not a child of God, you should be afraid of the devil if you're not a child of God. Because you're in his hands. He can do whatever he wants to do with you. But as a child of God, you don't have that fear. You should not be fearful. You should not be anxious about it because he has no power over you. You're in the hands of Jesus. Matter of fact, the devil fears you because of what Jesus can do in and through your life. That's why he's trying to stop you from doing what God's called you to do because it's going to be great glory to God. Let me get even simpler for you. You just gave your life to Jesus. You know you've been changed in, in your inner man. Your inner woman has been changed. You just know it. That 100-pound 100, 100 gorilla, the shame, the guilt, all that. You, you know you've been forgiven. There's no question. You're so excited about being free, you can't wait to tell someone else how they can be free. The devil is going to try to stop you or that person from knowing the truth so that they can be set free. But don't fear that. Don't fear what the devil can or cannot. You have God working in and through your life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do that good work for God. Go and boldly tell someone of the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Go do it out of love. God showed you and revealed himself to you. Let him come and use you to share the love of God with someone so they can be set free. That's the purpose. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin. You're no longer in rebellion. You're no longer fighting against God. You no longer want nothing to do with God. You want everything to do about God. You had, could care less what about anything about God. Now you can't get enough of the truths of God. 
You, what's a Bible? Now you're like, don't take, where's my Bible? I, don't take it away from me because I want to hear from God. I want to know more about God. And you're reading constantly. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed. Notice his seed. God's seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Whoever is born of God does not practice sin. Why? Because he has a new nature within him. She has a new nature within her. This new nature, his seed, cannot sin. The change from being of the devil to being a child of God comes as we are born of God. And when this happens, our old nature, the old pattern of habitual sin is gone. It's, 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 it's just gone. It's like the old rebellious uh, first Adam. It, it's, it's gone. And now we live with a new nature, a new pattern of life, a new instinctive obedience to Jesus Christ. Everything's changed. And that's why Jeff, John emphasizes, simply emphasizes what it means to be born again. It means that a change comes into our lives. It's a change that will be worked out into every area of our lives as we grow in Christ. But it's an observable change in your life. It's observable to those around. They can see something has changed in your life. It's what Paul, uh, Paul preached about when he says, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you are to put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. The old man is off. The new man is on. <laughs> when I always talk about this verse, I never say the old woman. <laughs> never lines up well in the delivery. So I just say, yeah, the new woman. Does not sin. Cannot sin. It's the same verb, the very same verb tense here, not sin, meaning a continual practice of habitual sin. As a child of God, you will no longer be habitual sin. Doesn't mean you won't struggle with it. Doesn't mean you won't have to battle with it for a while. But God is go has overcome the, the power to it. He's going to give you the freedom. He has forgiven you of that sin. You are no longer, that's not who you are. You're no longer the drunkard. You're no longer the drug addict. You're no longer the, the, the lustful person. You're, that's not who you are anymore. You're a child of God. And you're his seed, the person of Christ, the word of God, the spirit of God, does not allow a person to habitually, continually practice sin. The spirit of God who seals you for eternity will not allow you to habitually sin. Will not. How? The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict us of sin 
and to reveal the Savior to that person, to you and me, and to draw us to him so that you will come to him so you'll be freed from whatever is you're dealing with. And when a person receives Christ as his Savior, tremendous spiritual changes take place in him. She will not be the same. A tremendous spiritual change will take place in her. The inner woman, the inner man will completely change. He is given a new standing before God. You and I as a, as a child, we have a new standing before God. Being accepted as, a, as, as righteousness in God's sight. He sees you righteous because he sees his son living in you, the spirit of God. This new standing is called justification. It's just as you've never sinned before. Not only do you have a new standing, but we also have a new position as a, as a, a new Christian. We have a new position. He is set apart for God's own purpose to live for his glory. We have a whole new mission of life. And this new position is called sanctification. And it is a way that God is going to work in your life day by day by day. Transforming your life. But what's even so exciting is the most dramatic changes in a new believer is what we call regeneration. What justified you in your standing before God, your position before God, that sanctification, you were regenerated. You have received, you've been born again, you have received the Spirit of God. A new nature. A transformation within that, that person of you. Divine, God's divine nature that is spoken of in 2 Peter 1.4. That God is sitting there saying, you can partake of a divine nature today. Just as physical children bear the nature of their parents, so God's spiritual children should bear his nature. The divine seed in them is a new nature from the spiritual birth that took place. The old nature produces sin, but the new nature leads one into a holy life of purity. That's the new journey you've decided to take. When you gave your life to Jesus, I'm on a new journey of spiritual purity. Now, in the beginning, I said there were three th reasons why Jesus came. Did I not? I gave you two. To take away our sins. Take away the power of the devil in your life. The third one you will see when we get to it is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. And I'll read it to you. And in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. You can have a whole new life in the way you live that is pleasing and it glorifies God. And one that you never have to be ashamed and guilty of again. I don't know about you, but the question I have for you then have you received this new nature from God and are living through him today? Have you? Fully, completely? 
I pray that you today draw a line, step over that line, and live for Christ. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word today. I thank you again, Lord, for your grace and your mercy upon our life. I pray, Lord, today is a refreshing time for us to recognize as a child of God, we've been set free from sin. You took our sins away from us. You've taken away all the power of the demonic forces that were messing with our lives for so long. You've, you've set us free from that. And now you say you, we can live a life that is pleasing to you. To live a life through you. It's good and it's right. It's praiseworthy. It's nothing to hide. It's nothing to be ashamed. Nothing to be guilty of. We want to just yell your name from the mountaintops of what you've done in our lives. But I do know, Lord, there might be someone here this morning or someone online right now watching that's never given their life to you. And you've spoken to their hearts this morning. And they're wanting this, this life that you just spoke to them about, this new life, life that is freed from sin, the power of sin, having a life that is good and right. I pray, Lord, you're speaking to that person right now and you're, you're drawing that person to you. They, they hear you knocking at the door of their heart and they're just, you're just waiting for them to open up the door to their life and ask you to come into their life and forgive them of all their sins. If there's anyone here today that wants to give their life, I'm not going to call you out. Just raise your hand so I know who God is touching, whose heart he's touching right now. And you're going to give your life to Jesus. You're going to say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm a wicked man or a wicked woman, and I need you to come in and save me. Just raise your hand, and I want to pray for, you know who I'm praying for when I lift you up. Raise your hands high. God bless you back there. Just raise your hand. Don't let the enemy steal your, this opportunity from you. He's giving you, he's making a way for you to come and become a child of God and be forgiven and have eternal life. This is a huge decision. Have you made your decision for Jesus today? Have you? you is there any doubt in your mind that you're saved and you know you're going to be in the presence of God if you die today? If you don't have that assurance, commit your life to him today. Have that assurance. Anybody else? Anybody else who wants to raise their hand? Father, we thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts of reassuring us of our salvation, reassuring us of, our, of your love for us, reassuring us of eternal life, reassuring us that we have nothing to fear. If you're for us, who can be against us, the scripture tells us. That are your peace, your joy, let that fill us, each of your children today, Lord, let it fill with joy and peace. Draw us, Lord, just draw us so close that we just praise you and honor you and glorify you this day and the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.